It's Tuesday, the day after Game 3, the day before Game 4 of the Stanley Cup Final. And Sean, as Steven Stamkos said, we got a series now. Did you expect anything less? Did not. Nope. Did not expect anything less at all. I, I, it's so funny. And, and, you know, it's Colorado's first time in the Cup in 20, 21 years. And it's a whole new generation of fans. And we, we've been through this and all the Stanley Cups we've been to, like these crazy beginnings to series like unless you get out with a split like the the high is so high right like when we were leaving Colorado it was like oh we're not going to be back um who's this Vasilevsky guy like he's not that good all these things right because it's emotional and it's exciting and it's everything else but people get so wrapped up you're not in trouble in a series until you lose a home game Mm -hmm. right now Tampa Bay goes out tomorrow and they win and it's a best of three and you're the two times defending Stanley Cup champion yeah there's two games in Colorado but you don't like Tampa Bay's chances like that's how fast the change is 72 hours yeah and you touched on it's the emotional swings and and we're going to talk a little bit about this series well we're talking a lot about this series and what's going on with the lightning with our guest, Ross Colton, their forward. He's going to be joining us shortly, so you hear that interview soon. But, I mean, Sean, look, it's the emotional swings of a series, right? After game two, like you said, it's a 7 nothing game. I mean, that was an absolute demolition of the Tampa Bay Lightning in that game. The Avalanche were perfect. They couldn't play any better. I don't care how good they are. They couldn't play any better than they played in game two. And yet you knew Tampa Bay was going to come back with an answer. And after that game, like you said, I mean, everybody's wondering what's going on in this series. And now the narrative has switched. Who's going to be the starting goalie for the Colorado Avalanche in game four on Wednesday night? That's the big question now, right? I mean, granted, okay, there's a question. Nikita Kucherov got hurt in game three late in it. John Cooper thinks he'll be ready to go. Braden Point didn't play game three. Doubtful for game four. But the big question in this series now has nothing to do with the Lightning goaltender. Andre Vasilevsky has everything to do with the Avalanche goalie. Is it Darcy Kemper who got pulled in game three? Or is it going to be Pavel Franco? Jared Bednar created this, Sean. The Avalanche created this. Because Jared Bednar could have come out right after game three and said, Darcy Kemper is my guy. Or Pavel Franco is my guy. And now, now we have questions. Yeah, and that's all part of the... Stanley Cup experience, right? Like, you know, we, we I do a, a player blog with um, Alex Newhook, and we're doing one for the Tampa Bay Lightning with Nick Paul, and they're great, and you should read them because there's a lot of behind-the-scenes uh, a lot of behind the scenes stuff. So after game two, I was standing waiting for, for Alex to come out, and, you know, the, the Colorado Avalanche was sky high, mm. like laughing, just having a great time as well. They should, they're up to nothing in a series. They, they just embarrass the defending Stanley cup champions. Like your confidence has to be at an all time high. And then you watch them come off the ice, you know, after the game on Monday night and, and just long faces. And now there's doubts in their mind and, and they have to spend 48 hours wrestling with that. And the Tampa Bay lightning have done it over and over for 11th 11th series. Like, this is all old hat to them. They've been in every situation you could possibly be in. They were in this very situation last round, down 2-0. They had been outscored, I think it was 10-3 instead of 11-3. And they were down 2-0 in game three. And and they didn't even blink. Like, they were like, whatever. Like, we've been here. We can do this. We'll figure it out. And I don't know that the Colorado Avalanche have that. And part of that goes to coaching, right? Like, Coop never... John Cooper, he never panics, but he wasn't born that way. He learned to be that way by playing in a ton of coaching in a ton of big games and figuring it out. He made mistakes. He made mistakes in the Columbus series. Like that's why they lost in four. Like you make mistakes and you learn from them. And that's where Bednar is now. And I, and look, I think it's a mistake. I think it's a mistake to leave it open and say what he said today was somebody asked, is Darcy Kemper your goalie for game four? And he said, it's a possibility. It's one of the possibilities. Mm-hmm. The other possibility, obviously, being Pavel Francois, who has yet to lose in these playoffs. He didn't lose in game three because he came in when it was already out of hand. Um, so Darcy got the loss there. But he's 6-0. and He's got a better save percentage. Um, we had this conversation last week. I thought you stopped Pavel Francois, you and and uh, Brian Boucher disagreed with me. And and Brian, if you go back and you listen to that podcast, made a great point. He's like, 
Jared Bednar needs to stop the noise around his goalie. Mm-hmm. He, he needs to insulate him. He needs to take care of him. He needs to say he's my guy. He had all those opportunities today to do that. Or even last night. Last night, just say I pulled him. I pulled him to save him at six two. I was waving the white flag. I didn't think we could come back. I was buying him an extra period of rest. He's my guy. He'll be my guy in game four. And we're done. Unfortunately, we have no story to write, which is bad for us. But the controversy is over now. It's going to be on NHL Network. It's going to be on NHL Radio. It's going to be on ESPN. We're going to write about it. Everybody else is going to write about it. And it's going to have a life of its own. And the goalie has to hear about it. Like his coach didn't say, he's my guy. Whereas Coop did, right? Vassy gave up seven. John Cooper has no option. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing is Brian Elliott, but you're not going to Brian Elliott in the game to save your season when you have Andre Vasilevsky. But he made a point of saying, he's my guy. I have implicit faith in him. So a couple of things to that. Um, first off, for all we know, Jared Bednar has already told the goalie who's going to be starting. So maybe that answers that question in the goalie's mind. However, and I think this is a big however, the public perception matters. And the questions that players get asked matters. And what the goalie hears, and believe you me, they hear it, matters, right? And so... He might be told right off the bat, if it's Darcy Kemper, he might have been told today, you're the guy, right? You're in. But there's still all these questions that are being asked publicly, and it's dragging Darcy Kemper through the mud or dragging Pavel Francois through the mud. And and to me, that's a mental thing that these guys have to be able to deal with, and maybe they can. Darcy Kemper said he knew longer than we knew that he was starting game one of the, of the Stanley Cup final. So my guess is Jared Bednar cleared that up internally today. I don't understand why you can't clear it up publicly. Like, I just don't get the gamesmanship behind it. Do you think the Tampa Bay Lightning are going back and they're shivering because they don't know if it's Darcy Kemper or Pavel Francois? No, they're prepared either way. Okay. So I think you easily just come out and say it if you know the decision is already made. And I assume the decision is already made. I, I, I got to think it is. We don't know for a fact, but I got to think it is. Number two, what you talked about in regards to the avalanche looking like they were world beaters or acting like they were world beaters, feeling that way after game two, brings me back to a conversation we had a couple of podcasts ago with Ryan Callahan. And Ryan Callahan said, remember, we were talking about the lightning in 2015 when they were facing the Chicago Blackhawks. And he said, after we lost a game, it felt like we would never win again. And after we won a game, it felt like we won the Stanley Cup. That's how that was the swings and emotion, the highs and the lows. If the Avalanche are going through that right now, which I got to imagine that they are, they're going to have to find a way to balance themselves out because it's hard to do. You know that the Tampa Bay Lightning are not going through that. They, they didn't go through that after game one. They certainly didn't go through it after game two uh, when they could have, but they came back with their performance in game three, right? They're not going through it after game three, thinking they've got this thing in the bag now either. And the Avalanche have to find a balance because the Lightning in 2015 were facing a team like the Avalanche are facing right now in that mode of championship team. Stanley Cup pedigree knows how to handle the highs and lows, and the Avalanche are just learning that at each round it gets harder and harder, and they're at the hardest round right now. So they got to find some balance. They need their guys to step up and do it like the Tampa Bay Lightning constantly have their guys to step up and do it. The Pat Maroons, the Steven Stamkos, uh, the Victor Hedmans, those kind of guys. Now the Avalanche need Landis Gog and Rantanen and, and McKinnon to say, look, bleeding stops here. We're done. We win tomorrow. And this was just a blip. We're 3-1. Mm-hmm. We got three chances, two of them at home, to win and knock off the defending champions. I really like our odds. And I loved, after the game, Nathan McKinnon, you know, was asked about it and he, he said, this is fun. Yeah. Like, this is fun. This is, this is where we want to be. Did we think we we're going to sweep the Stanley cup champions? No, we want to play the best. We want to knock them off. I want to trade my position for anything. Like, and I love that answer. Like, I love that. He said, it's fun because it is fun. Like you're playing in the Stanley cup final. You dream about it your whole life. You're going to be miserable. Why? Like, go have fun. And that's what's going to free them. Letting go and forgetting about the stakes, forgetting about everything, like just embracing that opportunity 
that they have because it may never come again. Like it's once in a generation for the Avalanche. They did it in 2000 and one. Yeah. And they haven't done it since. Like there's whole generations of hockey players that have left the Colorado Avalanche, never got a chance, really good players. And, you know, we think they're a good team and we think they'll be back. Like Tampa Bay's been back over and over again. Maybe not, or maybe the players get traded, you know, and, and they never, ever get this opportunity again. So to let it go and to let it go with regrets and to get lost in the moment would be an awful thing for, for to happen, but it happens all the time. And another thing that was said today, now Nathan McKinnon said that last night. And another thing that was said today was Eric Johnson, a veteran player on the team who's never been this far before in his career said, look, we're still in the driver's seat. And that's how we have to look at it right now. We win a game. We win game four. We have a chance to win the Stanley cup on home ice in game five. Right. And that's all true. It, it, that's about handling the highs and lows. That's right there. How you have to handle it. Look at the positive. Hey, we're right there. We're, we're in a position. We're in a position right now where we're saying to ourselves, we're good. We lost the game. So what? We didn't think we were going to sweep it. I mean, do you think they thought going into the Western conference final that they were going to sweep the Edmonton Oilers? No, they, they did. I don't think going into the first round, they thought they were going to sweep the Nashville Predators, but they did. But they didn't think they were going to sweep the Tampa Bay Lightning. You're not going to be perfect in this series. They were perfect in game two. They were not perfect at, or even close to it, obviously, in game three. But they weren't that bad either. You know, I mean, like they weren't that bad in that game. They weren't 6-2 bad in that game. And I got to give a lot of credit where it's due. The challenge by John Cooper on the first goal, that's that the way he explained it, that's a coach going with his gut and me, you know, his gut was right. Fortunately for him, but it was a, that was a smart, that was a good challenge because if there's a chance there that that goal can come off the board, I think you take that chance and you trust your team to kill the penalty. If it doesn't, because you have to have faith that they can do it, but that was a good challenge. It worked out obviously in their favor. I, I don't know that I would be saying it was a bad challenge if they lost it. Like I, I think it was a good challenge and, and the right thing to do because it was that close to be able to do it now, hindsight, looking at it now, say, Oh, it was a great challenge because they won it. Right. But I think he was, I think even if they lose it, it's a good challenge. He's lucky he got to make it. Yeah. It's took, true. He took, took a long time. I mean, <laughs> you know, Bednar said afterwards, he's like, wow, I'm not sure we would get that much time, but that's part of it. Right. They're defending Stanley cup champions. Maybe they got an extra tick. Um, but yeah, no, uh, it was a pivotal moment in, in, in the game. And then they went down one, nothing anyways. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, we're able to wiggle away from that. The, the two things I'll say about Tampa is one now they've beaten the goalie and mm-hmm. they know they can do it and they know they can do it with relative ease. If they're, if they're playing well, like they have some confidence against the goalie. And the other thing is, and, and I thought it was amazing. There are still holes in the Tampa Bay game. They're, they're too careless with the puck. The four check that Colorado has is killing them um, to this point. I've never seen, veteran players make some of the mistakes that they make trying to get the puck out of their end. But in the third period last night, it was almost like the Tampa Bay Lightning said, you know what? We have this game one. They've pulled their goalie. We're not going to give anything up. Let's throw the puck in the corner and let's just go pound on people. And they spent the whole third period just wailing on Kale McCarr and Devin Tays and, and Eric Johnson. Like, And it wasn't message sending. But it was in a way. It was, you know, it, it, there was that famous clip in in Quest for the Cup last week, where John Cooper is basically like, "We got him on the run, boys. Like mm-hmm. they're the tired team now. They had the rest and they ran us through the boards for the first two games, and we survived it. And now they're in trouble, and we're gonna we're gonna take them. You just keep doing what you're doing. And it seemed to me that in the third period, the Tampa Bay Lightning wanted to stop piling up the body blows. It's going to be a championship fight. It's going to be 15 rounds early on. You don't go for the headshot. You take the body and that takes everything. It takes the legs. It takes the breath. It takes everything away. And to me, that's kind of what it looked like, like Pat Maroon and all those guys were like, okay, we've been here before. We know what they're feeling and we're going to make it hurt. Yeah. You can come back, but it's going to hurt and you're going to pay. And that's what they did the whole third period. I, I, just every time they could take a big hit, they took it and and really delivered some some food for thought. They did the exact same thing against the Rangers, 
You know, they did the, it was, they just did it earlier. They did it in the third period of game two, um, not the third period of game three, which they won. And we'll find out Wednesday night, game four, if that is the narrative that's that this series could follow as well. But before we get to game four, we were able to talk with Ross Colton, lightning forward. So, Sean, let's play that interview because there's a lot of good stuff that Ross talked about. Here is the interview with Ross Colton. Ross, thanks for hopping on with us. Uh, first thing I got to say, just want to want to make you feel at ease here. I'm a Jersey guy. Sean grew up in Rhode Island, but he's a Jersey guy too now because he's lived in New Jersey for long enough. So I just want to make sure you feel at ease knowing that you're with a couple of Jersey guys here. Nice. Thank, first and foremost, thanks for having me. And then, you know, it's always nice to, you know, talk to some Jersey boys. There you go. So let's start right off the bat here. I mean, you, you guys, you lose by a touchdown in game two. And then you come back and, and with that performance in game three, you're right back in the series. This is a team built on its leadership and its winning pedigree and whatnot. I don't think there was any question you guys would come back with a strong game, but what did you think of the performance in game three and how does that now set you up for game four? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously that, you know, game two is unacceptable, um, you know, especially in the Stanley cup finals, that's, you know, not our game, not the type of, you know, um, performance we want to have. And then, I think, like you said, it just starts with the leadership. It starts on the top. And, you know, we had a little meeting there after the game and kind of, you know, it was just a, you know, look in the mirror, like what's going on here. And, um, you know, to come out, you know, flying like that and to, uh, you know, we were down one nothing and uh, just the, the response. And, um, you know, I just thought we had the right game plan. We knew what to expect from them. We knew that they were still going to come out flying. And, uh, you know, we knew we couldn't come out flat. And, um, you know, I think we just played the right way, just, you know, try to not give them too much and, you know, limit their chances. And then, you know, I thought Vazzy was unbelievable. So um, if we could just keep playing like that, I think we'll have a lot of success. Does the fact that you found your way back in the last round from a very similar situation, even scoreline similar, um, make it a little bit easier to have that belief? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, it makes it easier um, per se, but I think just knowing that we've been in that situation before, um is definitely kind of key. You know, um, I think we were down even two nothing in that Rangers game three. And uh, it just goes to show that we kind of have no quit in that locker room. Um, you know, I heard of guys have said, you know, throughout these playoffs, you know, we're never out of the fight. You know, that term has been thrown around a little bit. So I think if we can kind of just live by that motto, um, you know, you're never out of it. Just, you know, always battle, win your shift. Um, you know, I think we're a tough team to beat. Ross, you mentioned something in your first answer. You said you guys had a meeting after game two. Uh, I'm curious, was that immediately after the game? Was it was it the next day? Was Where was it? Who spoke about it? And I guess, you know, from what you could say, because I understand those are some internal stuff that you don't want to give away, but what was the tenor of that meeting? Yeah, you know, not much you could, you know, give away, I think. But, you know, it was just right after the game. You know, usually, you know, you get undressed. Maybe the coach will come in and, you know, say his words. But, you know, we were still in our jerseys and, you know, Stammer just, you know, said, hey, boys, let me have the floor for a second and kind of just said, you know, um, you know, we can't play like that, kind of can't, you know, give up on our goalie and, you know, let's turn the page on that. And, you know, we got to come out with a better effort coming, you know, at home. And, you know, uh, the, the big thing with our group is, you know, that uh, I liked our response with was, you know, a lot of, you know, teams rely on, you know, let's just win at home, win at home. But, you know, you can never just say, you know, just because we're coming home, you know, it's an automatic two points and, you know, I just that that was kind of the key coming into this game was just because we're coming home doesn't mean we're going to win. And I thought that was uh, that was big for us that, you know, we didn't just rely on, you know, the home ice advantage. I thought we came out and kind of took it to them there. What have you learned in your short time there from the core guys that have won multiple cups, right? You get Steven Stamkos, you got Pat Maroon. He's kind of one of the emotional leaders. Like as a young player, what have you been kind of able to glean in your apprenticeship under them? Yeah, I mean, you could definitely go down the list. You know, there's so many guys. Um, but the, the thing that I just learned with them is that, um, you know, they just do everything the right way. They're, they're winners and champions and, you know, have had so much success for a reason. Um, you know, you, you look at Stammer and Hetty and Ryan McDonough, like they're always the hardest working guys on the ice in practice and they don't ever take a day off. And, um, I just remember, you know, I always thought like, oh, this is just, you know, God given with these guys. But, um, you know, from the first day I showed up, that was the one thing I, I learned and took from them that, you know, they put in so much work on and off the ice to, you know, be that great. And I, I just said, you know, getting here, I just, you know, you always think, Oh, I made it to the NHL. I've made it, but 
that's just so not the case. And, you know, I just, you know, learn that from these guys is if you want to be great and you want to be a champion, you know, there's so much extra work that you have to do. And, you know, I've kind of just tried to do that, you know, and uh, learn from those guys with that, that kind of um, aspect of the game. Yeah. And, and kind of playing off of that. I mean, it's, you stepped into a situation here where you were adapting to a championship team. Like you, they're not going to adapt to you, you know, <laughs> like you have, you have to adapt to them and to be able to do that. What was that like for you last year coming in, playing a handful of games and being able to find your way and find a role on a team that obviously had that championship pedigree? Yeah, you know, it de definitely wasn't easy. I, I remember getting called up, didn't know kind of what to expect. I, I didn't even know if I was going to stay for more than a week or so. I remember, you know, talking to, you know, Stacy Roost, who told me I was getting called up. He just said, hey, pack a, pack a bag, but don't pack too much. So. I was like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe I won't even play. And, you know, was fortunate enough to, um, you know, like you said, find my role and um, ended up sticking around. But, you know, with me, I, I thought the one person that stuck out was Pat Maroon, you know, from day one that I got called up, he kind of took me under his wing and just, uh, I, I was on his line all of last year and he just was more or less like, you know, play your game. Don't try and do too much and, um, you know, do the little things right. And it goes a long way. And, you know, hearing that from a guy like him just goes a long way for a young guy just because, you know, he clearly has had so much success and, you know, kind of knows what he's doing. So just after every shift, he would always have, you know, something little to say, you know, positive or, you know, constructive criticism that, you know, I felt like, you know, always made me kind of feel a little bit bigger on the ice that, you know, I could just play my game and not have to worry, which was awesome. Do you ever pinch yourself where you're at? I mean, it's been an incredible journey from you from, you know, the Rockets back in New Jersey all the way through, you know, a lower round draft pick and everything. And now you're you're sharing the ice, you're contributing, you got five goals in these playoffs with, you know, what will go down as, as one of the greatest teams in the history of hockey. Um, I, I wouldn't say right now that I do, but there's times in the offseason that I just say like, wow, like this, this is pretty crazy because, um, you know, like you said, I, I do feel like you know, growing up, I, I was always overlooked and had to battle through a lot of adversity, but I'm just so fortunate and thankful that I got placed um, in this great organization. You know, I feel like they, they believed in me and have, you know, put me in, you know, the right situations to succeed. And, uh, you know, I can't give enough credit to, you know, the coaches and, you know, my teammates who have kind of just made it easy for me from day one. But, um, you know, just, um, you know, I just like to take it day by day and try and do whatever I can to help the team win. And, um, you know, even, you know, till this day, we still have some unfinished business. So um, just excited for these next couple of games, I think. Ross, have you ever had a coach like John Cooper? Um, honestly, no. I mean, Coop's, you know, you know, pretty special. Um, he, he obviously knows what he's doing. He, he's a winner, again, for a reason. Um, and, you know, just what I love about him is I just think he's a player's coach. He knows, he knows how to handle the guys. You know, he knows when to, you know, you know, step on the gas in terms of, you know, getting on guys, but at the same time, he knows when to lean off and, you know, give the guys some space and, you know, let the leadership, you know, kind of take control of the room. And, you know, you don't always see that with, you know, coaches. I've, you know, had so many growing up and, you know, all of them are different, but that's the one thing that I've always loved about him is I feel like he knows exactly when to, you know, push the buttons and, you know, whatnot. And, um, you know, like I said before, he's had success for a reason and throughout his career, he's won at every level. Um, so yeah, he's definitely one of a kind and, you know, I, I'm just thankful he's behind the bench. We don't know what Kucherov's situation is going to be for tomorrow. He's injured in game three. John Cooper said today on, uh, I don't even know what day this is anymore, but on Tuesday, <laughs> um, he said, uh, if he knows Kucherov, he's going to play, but I'm curious, you know, coming through the ranks, you have some pretty good offensive talent. You know, you know how, how to, score and, and do different things with a puck. But when you look at a player with Kucherov and you get to watch him in games and in practices, probably even more like what stands out when you look at him that just makes him otherworldly, really? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many things that he does. I mean, the things he pulls off in practice, you would think the puck's on a string and then he goes out there and he does it in game, which is just mind blowing. You know, like the one play that always sticks out is that, um, that goal against Florida when he, you know, walked by, I think it was Ekblad. And it was just, I can't, I, like, you look at it and you're like, I can't believe he did it. But in the same breath, you know, he just did it to, you know, Victor Hedman in practice the day before. So it, it's nothing new with him. He he pulls off these things. He has so much confidence with the puck. Um, he pulls off these plays at such a high speed. But at the same time, you know, he makes it look so effortless. So he's definitely a special player. And, um, you know, he, he's a warrior. So 
um, he, he battles through, you know, different things. He saw that last year in the playoffs and, um, you know, just um, like I said, I'm just happy that I'm not on the other team having to go against him. <laughs> I think I read something and it would make sense since you're a Jersey guy and you grew up at the time that Zach Parisi was maybe your guy, right? I mean, he was the, the guy that you watched and you were a Devils fan when you were growing up and Parisi was the guy. Um, is Andre Pilat like that now? Yeah, no, I, I definitely, you know, think he is. Um, I just remember, like, I always talk about Zach Parisi just because I remember that. Um, I want to say it was the 2012 Cup run. You know, I just went to so many games throughout the regular season and the playoffs with my brother, and he was just the one guy that, you know, he was the captain for a reason. I think on that team, he just was always a gamer. You know, if you look for a big hit, a big goal, a big play, you know, I felt like it was always Parisi that was doing that. And then I feel like with this, you know, the team that we're on now, I feel like that's that's Pally for us. You know, if there's ever a situation where, you know, we're looking for something to happen, whether, you know, it's a big play, he, he's always eating up big minutes. He scores the big goal or the big assist. And, um, you know, I feel like at times maybe he doesn't get as much credit as some of these other guys. But, you know, in my opinion, he deserves, you know, all the credit in the world because he does so many of the little things that might go unseen, but, you know, makes such a big impact for our team. So Ross, were you have you been hiding your pugilistic skills? That was a pretty good, uh, pretty good row you had at the end of the game there last night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that was that might have been my first fight in my career. Um, <laughs> you so picked I, a good time really, for it. Didn't really know what I was doing. I was just, uh, you know, it was kind of the end of the game and kind of just threw a couple, you know, took a couple. So um, yeah, not not part of my game, I would say. But you know, if I need to do it, you know, not afraid. So. Man, you got to st- you got to fight in the Stanley Cup final on your resume. You, <laughs> you got a Stanley Cup winning goal and a fight right now. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. That's you a pretty just good need re- assist for the Gordy Howe hat trick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was a pretty good resume. So I wanted to go just quickly go back. All right, so now let's look ahead here. We again, as Sean mentioned, we're not one hundred percent sure on Kucherov. We think he'll play. You you probably know more than we do. Um, again, we're not one hundred percent sure on Braden Point. But how have you found it? in your short time in the playoffs so far, do you find it? And I hear coaches say it all the time. Momentum doesn't carry over from game to game. Do you find that when you get a performance, like you guys had to come back after really getting lit up in game two to come back like that, can that carry into game four or is this forgotten? It's a brand new thing. I mean, is there something to be said for carrying that momentum or is it over with? I mean, that's tough. I, I mean, obviously there, there is a little bit of momentum, but you know, like I had mentioned before with coming back to home ice, just because, you know, we won last game doesn't mean, you know, there's just an automatic, you know, we're going to win the next game. You know, it was obviously big for our confidence because, you know, it was more or less a much, uh, you know, a must win game. Um, but, you know, I think for our confidence wise, it was big, but, you know, in the same breath, you know, you know, we did some video today, you know, and they still had a ton of, you know, offensive zone pressure and there were still things that, we need to clean up. So, um, you know, it was big to get that win, but I think even next game we need to come out with a stronger push and a stronger effort if we want to win again. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was big, obviously, but, you know, there's still some work to be done. Does their speed put you under a different kind of pressure than you faced in, in other series? It, it it seems like sometimes it's it's a little bit harder for you guys to break out. It's a little bit harder to get through the neutral zone. Is that a, is that a product of how fast they're able to play the game? Yeah, no, for sure. It definitely is. I think, you know, with that team, the the thing that you need to be most uh, careful of is just I think their back end has a ton of speed. You see that, you know, with some of their, you know, top skill defensemen there, they love to jump up in the play. So um, you can't be throwing reckless shots on net with rebounds kicking out because, you know, their D want to jump up in the play and they could get some, you know, odd man rushes off um, our turnovers. So if we could just limit the turnovers, I think, on, you know, both blue lines and then kind of just meaningless shots in the ozone. Um, and not giving them anything off the rush, you know, it's kind of it's kind of big for us, kind of keeping those guys like McCarr and Taves, um, you know, out of the ozone. I think is you know kind of key. Just to play off of that, I'm curious: is that something that you knew before the series started? What you just said about their defensemen? I mean, you know they're fast, you know they're good, but or is that something you you learn through three games now? Um, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. I think coming in, we knew that, you know, what their game plan was, we kind of knew what to expect, but you know, then once you're in the moment, it kind of happens, you know, at a faster pace and, um, you know, kind of, uh, especially when you're, you know, you're on the road, you kind of just want to get shots on that, you know, you kind of just want to tap for the goalie. You're kind of playing maybe a little bit careless. Um, and then you kind of, you know, watch the film afterwards and you see just the little mistakes that, 
you know, in the game and kind of, you know, it doesn't seem like a big deal. Like, oh, I'll just get the shot on that. But then when you go back and watch it, there's other plays that you could have done to kind of prevent them, you know, fueling their offense going the other way. So, um, like I said, it's a little bit of both. Um, so I think now we kind of know maybe the recipe and have to make a few other changes. But for the most part, I think if we just keep playing the way that we did last game, we should be fine. Before we let you get out of here, I want to ask you one more question. It's a little bit esoteric. I joked earlier, I forgot what day it was when I was talking to you and I had to work a little bit to get to Tuesday. What's it like to play deep into the playoffs? You've done it for two years now. You pretty much live in a in a quasi bubble, you know, with nothing else going on. You kind of put every, your real life away for however long you last. What's it like to get this far into the playoffs physically and mentally? Yeah, it's definitely, um, it's definitely a challenge. Um, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head there with it's definitely challenging mentally and physically, um, you know, physically on the body, you know, especially with this group, you know, playing, you know, three years in a row now this long, you know, there's so many games, you know, guys are beat up, but it just goes to show the, you know, the warriors that we have in that locker room who just love to battle, you know, you see our D men, you know, the different guys banged up each night because they, they love to block shots and you know that's definitely contagious and, I think that's why we've had, you know, such a you know winning culture here is because guys, you know, buy into that when, uh, you know, our leaders are blocking shots and stuff like that. And then, you know, I just think mentally it's, you know, a challenge because it's, it's so long, it's grueling. You got to, you know, um, you know, you sacrifice a lot to, you know, go this far and, you know, be in this situation. And, um, you know, when you're on the road and, um, you know, away from your family and friends, it's, it's definitely not easy. Um, but, you know, you, you go through all those practices, you, you know, you put your body on the line, you know, the blood, sweat, and, um, you know, tears, you know, just to hoist that cup. So it's definitely tough, but, you know, our group has embraced the challenge and, you know, just um, like I'd mentioned before, I just don't think we're done yet. So super excited. Well, man, you need three more wins to get there. Uh, it is yeah. Tuesday. So you have a day off today after practice <laughs> Wednesday will be game four. Good luck in it. Good luck the rest of the way. All right. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, awesome, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Great stuff there with Ross Colton. By the way, Sean, great to get a Jersey guy on the podcast. The more Jersey guys we can get on this podcast, the better, is my, in my estimation. I know it's national. Everybody wants, you know, Jersey guys. That hits home with me. Cradle of hockey. That's right. Jersey. <laughs> Cradle of hockey. <laughs> it's the new hockey town. There's a lot of kids coming out. There Look, are. Both of you, both of us grew up in New Jersey. Well, I didn't grow up in New Jersey, but I grew up professionally in New Jersey. I came here when I was... 21 years old and I covered high school sports and when I started like there was no hockey there was mm -hmm. like maybe 10 programs in the whole state that played hockey and now it's humongous and it, it junior hockey um high school hockey the whole thing like it's just exploded in a way that you can't even comprehend and the fact that there are kids coming out like you know I, I mean there were a few kids in the past Jeremy Roenick played for the same Rockets program that Ross Colton played with not the same program. It's clearly changed over the years. Um, and, and there's been some other guys that have come out of Jersey, but uh, like now, ever since like Van Riemsdyk and all of the, all three of the Van Riemsdyk kids and, and everybody else, like New Jersey's turning into a little bit of a hockey state and it's awesome. It is. It is. And actually uh, let's talk about a guy who used to coach in Jersey. I think his son actually, was a Jersey player, right? I mean, wasn't Pete DeBoer's son? He didn't grow up in basically Jack. Didn't he grow up in Jersey and end up at BU? I believe so. I believe that's yeah. the case. Um, but Pete DeBoer obviously used to coach in New Jersey. He also used to coach in Florida. He used to coach in San Jose, and he used to coach in Vegas. And now he's going to coach in Dallas too. Sign with the Stars. That's official. So this is five stops in 14 years for Pete DeBoer. Uh, he's got over 500 wins. He's been to the Stanley Cup Final twice. What do you think of Pete DeBoer in Dallas? I think it's good. I, I think that it's a veteran team, obviously, and, and you know, he seems to do better with that. Um, I think they'll be receptive to his message because their window is closing. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll see what it brings. We'll see if some of the problems that have kind of followed Pete from – place to place surface again or how much he learns from from what's happened i mean i think the end in in vegas has to be a learning experience right especially some of the goalie stuff with robin laner and how that all kind of went sideways at the end um you know you need to learn from that the your goalie is your most important player you cannot alienate them like and you don't have control over who they are right like mm -hmm. it, it, it's like these are your two goalies they're the ones that are going to show up every day because they're under contract. Like, 
You got to make it work. You can't be like, oh, I don't like these goalies. Well, it's a salary cap world. They're not going to change. And he's got a pretty good one in Ottinger and and young and very malleable and very down to earth. He's not a high maintenance kid. He's he's simple. Go out. Yeah. Stop the puck. I don't care about anything else. I'll just do what I do. And they have implicit faith in him. So unless he gets hurt, there's not really a goalie decision to be made there. Um, so, you know, and, and then I think with the older guys, like Pete's going to be great. And and he can say, you know, I've been to two cup finals. I, I've done this. I've done that. Um, and probably the last shot with this group. Yeah, I would say so. And I think they've done an interesting job here with in Dallas. You know, they still have Sagan. They still have Ben. Joe Pavelski's there. Joe Pavelski is going to be the guy that sort of is the conduit between Pete DeBoer and this team because he was with them for so long in San Jose. But they've built around it a little bit too. They've built around it with Miro Heiskanen, you know, and and a few of the other guys. Rupe Hints is is another one of those guys, right? So they're a little younger coming up too. Jason Robertson is in that mix and Ottinger. And here's the thing with Pete DeBoer in Dallas. He has a young goalie. He's never really had a young goalie where he's been, you know, like I'm not going to go all the way back to Florida. That was a different time and a different team, but the devils, he had the end of the Marty Brodeur era, right? The last run for Marty Brodeur in 2012. And then the transition of that era to Corey Schneider in Vegas. He had Mark Andre, you know, he had Mark Andre. I'm sorry. In San Jose and Marty Jones, Marty Jones, younger was just coming up, I guess, but he was still not a young goalie. And he kind of saw him through that. And, and then he saw like the trajectory go down, Right. It wasn't a guy, it wasn't a guy, a prodigy type goalie who was going to just go up in Vegas. It was flurry and laner. We know that story. Now he's got Ottinger. Ottinger's young. He's got a trajectory that should go up. He had a great playoffs. He should be better in the regular season. He's got years to go, you know, to in his prime. And that might be the thing that really makes this stop. Perhaps I don't want to say the best, but a, a strong stop on the coaching tour of Pete DeVore's career, because you there is you should you can't alienate the goalie this is a young guy you got to build with this guy it's not trying to keep uh something going it's it's trying to build with this guy and i think that's going to be interesting to see where that fl- where that kind of shakes out for pete DeBoer. but I, I mean look i don't mind it i i kind of like the idea of seeing some fresh blood in the league too you know i mean uh i think you know you got to have some new ideas take some different stances every once in a while but if you got a team with the veteran players that the stars do and an owner who clearly is not wanting to rebuild, and I don't think they would need to rebuild with the, you know, they've kind of done it on the fly here with a couple of their guys. I don't mind this hire for them. Let's see how it works out. But it's about the goalie and his relationship with Pete DeBoer. And, and I think Jake Ottinger being a young guy, that that should make it a little bit easier uh, for, for Pete DeBoer. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And I, I, I think they'll be really interesting because I don't know how good they're going to be next year. Mm-hmm. Like they were on the edge this year and, you know, they, they couldn't get it done. And, you know, two years ago, they were surprise run to the Stanley Cup final. Um, I guess that's three years ago now as we reach this Stanley Cup right. final. Um, see how fast time flies, Dan? It's unbelievable. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they're they're kind of at a weird place. And, and so um, – we'll see what happens, but what it does do is it takes one more job off the board. Right. And it kind of condenses everything for those other veteran guys that are left Barry trots being, you know, exhibit a, we talked about everything being held up for Barry trots. And now we've had Cassidy hired. We've had Tortorella hired. We've had DeBoer hired, like these jobs are going away and, and there sits Winnipeg and the thing you were always worried about was the money, right? Like, can they afford Barry? Do they want to afford Barry? Barry's price is going down um, unless he doesn't want to coach. Like if he only wants to coach at a certain number, then that's the number. But he's lost a little bit of his leverage. There's, there's not that many teams he can put himself off against now and say, well, if you don't give me this, I'm going to go here. A lot of those jobs have been taken away. So here's the thing with trots and I, and I'll, I touch on this in my weekly mailbag, which comes out Wednesday. So um, be sure to read it when you li- after listening to this, read the mailbag. Uh, I touched on, I got the question about could Trotz be the new coach of the Florida Panthers, uh, you know, or is it going to be Andrew Burnett? Obviously Andrew Burnett is still the interim coach, right? That hasn't changed. So unless, until that changes, the Trotz name is going to be out there. 
But there's been reports in Nashville that Barry Trotz has purchased a house in Nashville. That's number one. There have been reports that Barry Trotz has been offered maybe a, a front office role with the Predators in some capacity, probably a limited front office role, once one that allows him to create his own schedule. That's number two. Bought a house in Nashville, potentially offered a job in Nashville. It's coached a lot of games. It's got over 900 wins, over 1,800 games coached. Maybe Barry Trotz doesn't want to coach, Sean. Maybe that's the holdup. It's not that he didn't want the Flyers job or he didn't want the Vegas job or he didn't want the Dallas job or the Winnipeg job that remains open or Detroit. Maybe he doesn't want to coach. Maybe he wants to just be Barry Trotz, be, be chill, have a year or two. We don't have the pressure. It's constant pressure. And he's been doing this since the late 90s. Constant pressure every single season, right? Maybe he doesn't want to do that right now. Maybe he wants to go back to Nashville, where obviously he made a home for himself with all his years there. And maybe that's why we haven't seen that. And the number could mean nothing for what Barry Trotz, because maybe Barry Trotz is turning it all down because he doesn't want to do it. Yeah, that's certainly a possibility. Look, the burnout's unbelievable. That The reason that the Winnipeg job's open is because another really qualified right. coach who's been doing it for a long time said, I've, I've lost this team. I've, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix it. Um, I'm, I'm bereft of ideas. Um, it's a good word. It happens. It, it's a, it's a, it's a English soccer word. They, they word were bereft, solid. bereft of ideas to yeah. figure out the defense. Um, and so it does happen. And sometimes you need to recharge other guys. Don't like Bruce Cassidy, you know, he was out of work for what, three days. And that was yeah. too long for him. <laughs> um, so, you know, some guys just have this passion. It's all they know how to do and it's all they want to do. And they love it so much that they can't let it go. And then there's other guys that just, you know, they love it, but it's a part of them and it's not who they are and what they are. And, you know, Barry Trotz is a, is a pretty well-rounded guy and, you know, he has some interests and he has some things to do. And he, he look, he has a deep affinity to the Nashville Predators. He's, he made them right. Like from the very beginning, he, he started coaching them before they ever played a game. He coached them for a year in which they never played a game. Like you talk about being in on the ground floor. So, but I wouldn't read too much into buying a house in Nashville. I would like to buy a house in Nashville. No, I, no, I understand and, that. And yeah. David Poyle's not hiring me anytime soon. Um, maybe, maybe Robbie Stanley on the radio would hire me as his gopher, but <laughs> David, David Poyle's not hiring me. So, but I'd still like to buy a house in Nashville. Me, me too. Big, Look, big real estate market right now. Yeah, no, and I get that. I'm not saying that, obviously. I'm not saying that takes him out of the running, you know, of, of all these jobs. But, I mean, Barry's going to be 60 years old in July, you know, and he's been doing this for a long time. So it, it wouldn't, I guess what I'm saying is it wouldn't shock me if he didn't coach next year. I also wouldn't be shocked if he went to Winnipeg. I, would, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up in Florida. I, I wouldn't, it, I would be kind of surprised if he ended up in Detroit. although. Maybe that's the challenge he wants next in his career. We'll see. I mean, there's a lot there, but it wouldn't, none of it would surprise me with Trotz. And, and I don't think it's the, the order of succession, you know, or whatever you want to say, like that we were waiting on Trotz and everything. It, maybe that's how we were looking at it, but clearly Barry Trotz had other ideas, right? So, and a job that's not open, which I think is interesting, expected. Jay Woodcroft signs the contract to remain the coach of the Edmonton Oilers. It's a 45-year-old guy, got his opportunity, was good with Edmonton in the regular season, obviously took him to the Western Conference Final. They didn't win a game there, but he got him there, and now he's got a contract for three more years. Ken Holland said he loved the job that, that Jay Woodcroft did, so now he's got an opportunity to really put his fingerprints all over this team because now he's got a training camp, and now he's got, you know, he's going to be involved in the draft. He's going to be involved in the free agency. He's going to be involved in trades and whatnot. Now he's got a training camp, too. It's a little bit different. Yeah, it is. And I think because of the success they've had and because of the good players that they have, like people forgot how bad the Edmonton Oilers were when yeah. he came on. Like they fired their coach, their, their season was crumbling all around them. And everybody said, Well, this is how you solve it. You bring in the coach from Bakersfield and, and nobody knows who he is. And like, where, where's the big guy? Like, you know you know, why don't you bring in this guy? Why don't you bring in that somebody that we all recognize and really shake it up, you know, maybe Babcock, maybe whoever it is and, and really shake things up. And, and then, you know, no, this is the way we're going to go. And he mm -hmm. pulled that team literally out of a tailspin. Like 
they're about to hit the eject button because they were going to crash really hard. And all of a sudden they got it under control and they were able to get altitude again and, and all, and then they ran off that big winning streak and then, you know, Bob's your uncle and they're in the playoffs. So, um, he did an amazing job. And, and I think the players relate to him. I think they look at him and they're like, here's a self-made story. Like this guy knows what he's doing. He's got our best interests at heart and he knows how to deploy us and he knows how to take care of us. And, you know, and he'll learn some of the coaching part of it. Like I, I think, you know, there was a masterclass going on in, in the Western conference final, yeah. um, you know, and, and some of that he'll learn. Um, but I think he has the tools to be good there. Yeah, Jared Bednar had to learn it, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean it, it's the same thing. It's like we talked about earlier with the Avalanche and the Lightning, right? I mean, the Lightning know it because they learned it. And now the Avalanche are going through it. They've got to learn it too. They're hoping that I'll learn it the hard way. That's yeah. the only thing. No, and it was the same thing with Brunette in the third round. Like yeah. he just second, and, and yeah. you remember like before the I think it was before the Penguins won their two cups. Claude Julian took him apart one year in the mm. in the Eastern Conference yes. Final. I yeah. mean, just three goals, heads. two goals in that series, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, like it was a coaching clinic. But you learn and you move on, and and sometimes it's really painful. Um, but I think when when they were ready to push the eject button, and you said, "Okay, we're going to do this. We're going to pull out of it," and the final destination is going to be the Western Conference Final. I think everybody in Edmonton, everybody in Western Canada, everybody that loves Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl signs up for that in a heartbeat. And Woodcroft's the guy that delivered you there. So you yeah. reward him. By the way, I think that was what you mentioned with Claude Julian and the Penguins. I think it was 2013. And I'm pretty sure Dan Bilesman was the coach of yeah, that team. He was. He, he was. He, he, got, he got outcoached. I think he got another year in Pittsburgh after that. And that was it. He's back too. Well, he's been back. He's been coaching. But now he's a head coach again of the Coachella Valley Firebirds, the Seattle Kraken's American Hockey League team, starting up this next season. And Dan Bosma today, I believe it was today, Tuesday, was named their first head coach. So Dan Bosma was an assistant with the Charlotte Checkers in the AHL. Now he's got a head coaching responsibility again. Ron Francis hired him to be the coach of the Coachella Valley Firebirds. And We'll see. Maybe does this is this the ticket back to the NHL for Dan Bosman? Maybe, but nobody's ever done it. There's only been one other coach in the history of the AHL and NHL that's gone back, and and I don't even know who that person is. Like I know his name, but I he he or you know we're not talking about a famous coach. Like right. Dan Bosman will be the most famous coach that's ever gone back, you know, and he's going into a weird part of the AHL where I was going to say he's going to ride the buses, but they don't ride the buses very much. I guess they do a little bit in California because you got Ontario there and you got Stockton yeah. and, you know, that little circuit, but it, it's more of a travel league in the West than it is in the East. But I think it's great for Dan. And I, I think he'll do great with those players and, and kind of developing players for Seattle. And that's, how you make your bones and that's how you get noticed. But the one thing I want to bring up, and I don't know if you saw it when they made the announcement, they ran the logo with the announcement. Yeah. Oh my God. Is it sweet? First of all, it looks like a death metal band logo. Like it's this Phoenix yes. rising out and there's fire everywhere. And it's red with black behind it. Like it could be like some brand new death metal bands t-shirt. And you'd be like, that's awesome. Um, so their logo right up at the top for me. Solid logo. I'll give you that. <laughs> it's definitely a solid logo. And also what I will say to that is if you want to pay me to live in Palm Desert, I'm going. Okay. So this is a great opportunity for Dan Boz, but maybe it's his ticket back to the NHL. We'll see. He's got it. I mean, it's obviously a, a lot on his plate here, starting up a new team in the American Hockey League where the resources aren't the same as they are in the NHL, all that stuff. But he's going to get paid money to go live in Palm Desert, Sean. And I mean, if you want me to go cover that team, I'll go do it. You can get in line. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, look, and 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 it's important. And, and you know, I think Seattle gets it right in that you need to spend money on your on your team. Like you look at the final right now and it's it's Chicago um, and Springfield. Right. And it's the St. Louis Blues and the Carolina Hurricanes like the Carolina Hurricanes 
won the call the cup a couple of last time it was contested before the pandemic hit when they were with the Charlotte checkers. Um, Bosma was with that team and, you know, a ton of guys that played on that team are now playing important roles in, in Carolina. Like you need to spend money at the AHL level and you need to teach kids how to play in your system. You need to match, you know, winning and development and, and figure out how all that happens. And the teams that are successful at it, you know, are, are, Golden, the Tampa Bay Lightning right now, I think nine out of the last 12 years, either the Tampa Bay Lightning or whoever their affiliate is at Syracuse right now, it was Norfolk when when John Cooper coached there. Nine out of the last 12 years, one of those two teams has been to at least the conference finals. Yeah, and That's how you build a foundation of winning in your team because every player is going through really important big games, either with the parent club or on their way up to the parent club. So you, you literally... With a salary cap that restricts everything you can do player-wise, the smart owners spend their money on management and on development. Yeah, well, look at the two coaches. Oh, you need need not look further than the two coaches that are in the Stanley Cup final right now. John Cooper came up with the Lightning. He was the AHL coach in Norfolk. They won the Calder Cup. Jared Bednar was a coach in a different organization, but he was a Calder Cup winner. And you know what? They've brought their success to the National Hockey League level. And so, I mean, yeah, it, it matters that development makes a big deal. And speaking of development and what matters, we get, we do have the draft coming up here soon. It's in Montreal, July 7th and 8th. And the NHL draft class guys, Mike Morial and Adam Kimmelman, they got their podcast, NHL draft class. Al Jensen, the goalie guru from Central Scouting, is their next guest. So be sure to listen to that. And, of course, you know, keep watching the Stanley Cup final. Sean, you're still in Tampa. You're in Tampa. I'm not right now. Good vibe there, I would imagine. Oh, it was crazy last night. I, I tweeted at one point, it was Motorhead loud. And that's loud. That's loud. Never been. They're, they're probably the loudest band ever. And it was it was crazy because that's what these people expected. They expected a statement game from the Lightning and they got it and everything went right. And it was just, it was unbelievable. The lady wasn't sitting behind us, Dan, though, oh. that screamed from the, <laughs> we talked about this last year during the podcast, that just screamed the whole game. We did not have, we had nobody behind us. We were way up in the 300 section this time yeah. in the Hawks box, but uh, there was nobody screaming all the all the instructions to the players um, this time. So um, maybe she's still in the same seat from last year. I don't know, but we're not there. So unfortunately, I missed that. I did think of you, though, and I was like, oh, if Dan was here, we could go find her and maybe listen to her for a bit. I hope she's still screaming somewhere. You know what? Maybe she'll be screaming in game four Wednesday night. See if the Lightning can even it up or if the Colorado Avalanche can take a three-to-one lead and maybe the Stanley Cup is in ball arena when they play game five. It could be awarded by the time we do our next podcast. But you know what? If not, we'll be back talking about it. And we'll be talking about it anyway next week. So enjoy the hockey and thanks for listening.